Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague as normal, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. How are you today? Hey, Derek. It's morning for me. I'm in Barcelona, beautiful Barcelona. But I hear you're also another beautiful place today. So we, we happen to be in two amazing spots. Both happen to be quite uh, active in crypto land. So tell me where you are at the moment. Very much so. It's sort of like come rain or shine, we always get our Beyond Bitcoin out every week, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> yeah. right. Now, True. I must say <laughs> these conditions are not harsh. I'm sitting on the top of a beautiful building with an amazing view of the ocean, and I'm in Bali on holidays for a week. So it's not a bad place to be. But where you are is extraordinarily exciting because you're in Barcelona, a city that I actually absolutely love, as I'm sure so many listeners love too, and also a city that embraces the world of crypto assets. It's the very first place in the world that I flew to to attend my very first crypto conference in in early May 2017. It's a great city. Wow, that's been a long time. No, it's a great city. Great food, of course. Great wine. A lot of culture. Uh, you know, you have the Dali and the Picasso and the famed history of Catalan, um, which has always been interesting in context of Spain and 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 Catalonia. Um, no, great, great to be here. And I, I also believe, Derek, there's some apologies in order. I made some statements around Singapore, size of Singapore, which which was which I need to correct myself and I would like to like to again apologize to our audiences. I think I said Singapore is 34 kilometers in length and I was mistaken. I think I walked 34 of the 50 kilometers that that I was pointed out by one of our avid listeners. So I, I do want to thank uh, Tony for that uh, for that pointer um, around Singapore. And, and the great thing about it, I think he turned around and said, we're something like the 157th country in size. In other words, absolutely tiny. However, <laughs> yeah, they were right up there with GDP and, 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 and education levels, et cetera, et cetera. He gave a great selection of statistics that, that set Singapore sure. apart. Singapore's amazing. I'll be there next week. It's amazing. And I think maybe perhaps we do a little bit more on Singapore and beyond Bitcoin in terms yeah. of its ability to attract talent, attract capital, yes. um, which we've already discussed the intention of many of the crypto projects uh, besides the size. So in this case, size does not matter, Derek. It's, it's, it's the ability for them to be able to attract because of policies, because of their ability to, to get the talent. So we should spend some time on that at some point when you're back at yep. Singapore next week. Thanks. Very true. So, Nitin, I was roaming through the schedule of this conference that you're at, and, and I'll let you introduce the conference, but I did discover that the very first opening panel, which was called yeah. On-Chain Future is Inevitable, now how will the, the banks respond? I roamed through the experts that were speaking on that panel, and you were on it. So, maybe take it away and tell us what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, thank you, Derek. And it was a, it's, it's a Chainlink event. Chainlink, as you know, is a Oracle sort of network or they call decentralized Oracle network or DONS. And the idea behind Chainlink is to bring the trusted data because as you know, blockchain requires, it's, it's all about system of trust. And uh, it's trying to bring traditional finance to blockchain by ensuring that you have the right market data and validated and verified data. So transaction can be processed in a meaningful manner, uh, preventing any collusion or any sort of you know, misprocessing of transactions because of bad data or because of erroneous or manufactured data. The conference you, is great because, yeah. Can you start and define what Don is for us, for the listening audience, so that we can really get a perspective of where Chainlink sure. sits in the system and how this interoperability is so core to all things that uh, we're talking about with the future? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do that because I think, let, let's me first start with defining interoperability and then we'll get to Oracle because that will make more sense at that point, Derek. Mm. So there are several cross-chain strategies that are used to increase level of interoperability. Right? Interoperability, essentially, if you look at the underlying fragmentation that you have. So you have various layer one blockchain. So your Bitcoin is a layer one blockchain. Mm -hmm. Ethereum is layer one blockchain. Solana is layer one blockchain. So you have all these blockchains. And the challenge with some of the blockchains are that when you process transactions, these are transactions that are housed in a block and when transactions are processed, they reach something called transaction finality, which means the transaction final and they get committed to a blockchain. Committed meaning that they are sort of written to the database that's immutable forever, which is the strength of blockchain that you cannot ever change you know, a, a transaction of data and that remains in the historical context of blockchain forever. Now, what happens is if you have to move, so Bitcoin has, has value, Ethereum has value. So Bitcoin, I think collectively is little lower half billion. Ethereum is little lower 300 billion, I think as it stands today and the ecosystem that's growing around it. Uh, but if you have to move value in terms of what Bitcoin possesses into Ethereum ecosystem, well, that's where interoperability becomes a challenge. And the few strategies that the industry has taken are things like sidechains. Sidechains are like Polygon is a sidechain, which essentially is a blockchain attached to another blockchain, which reduces the cost of transactions, but they, they themselves are a blockchain. Or mm. they call something called relays, where I'm relaying information about a transaction that's being processed in one chain to another chain. I'm looking at something called hash time lock contracts that since Bitcoin cannot exist on Ethereum blockchain ecosystems, I have to do something called mint and burn. So I lock, let's say $10 worth of Bitcoin in one ecosystem and I mint $10 worth of Ethereum on another system, right? And in our, you know, in our real world, that's equivalent, Derek, to me visiting Australia and converting my US dollars into Australian dollars. That's interoperability mm. between two economies and the, the fiat, in this case, the currencies that represents the belief system of an economic system, which namely US and Australia in this case, you know, the travel X or the airport exchanges or money changers provide that function of interoperability. But in digital mm. world, uh, we don't want intermediation. So we rely upon smart contracts. So we rely upon many of these technologies, you know, like hash time, like contracts or relays or side chains that basically allows us to be able to move value. Now, what has happened over time is that while these have proven to be effective in some cases, they have also created honeypots mm. for a lot of vulnerabilities that people, instead of attacking chains, they attack these bridges, mm. which facilitate movement of value using a mint and burn option or what, what they call blockchain of blockchains like Polkadot and Cosmos. 
and I'll describe classification in a few minutes. And so that has created a massive problem. At the same time, if you look at the Ethereum ecosystem, which introduces programmability into the blockchain ecosystem for processing transactions, suddenly you're, you're creating ecosystems of providing, let's say, insurance or providing, which relies on external data. Or you're looking into prediction markets that may, that are, that may be evolving as a, as a smart contract or as a, as a project on Ethereum. And those, smart, or those projects require external data. So if you're relying on issuing insurance on flight cancellation, suddenly I have to ascertain the flight actually was canceled. Mm. So I need data from the outside world because that trusted data leads to a processing a transaction that, will, that has consequences because it's immutable. It's irreversible. So oracles play that part of ensuring that they do verification validation of the data that's coming from the outside world or outside system and ensuring that that these oracles who are then injecting the data into the smart contracts so your flight delay related insurance can be processed is not colluded, is not erroneous data or faulty data, which may lead to a transaction that can never be reversed back and that may lead to economic loss for the project or for the insurer that's insuring your peril, which in this case happens to be a delayed flight. So to receive the data, the idea behind the decentralized Oracle network and decentralization happens to be the mantra in this entire ecosystem to say, we shouldn't have power into one entity. We need to rely on multiple areas. So in case, you know, there's a whole element of consensus even there to say that you can have all these nodes that are receiving the data from different sources and they all compare nodes and they all agree that yes, the flight was delayed. And these decentralized Oracle network, essentially a set of nodes, a set of machines that verify, validate the accuracy of the data, inject the data into, into the blockchain system to process the transaction. And you get essentially a payout due to a flight delay, the insurance mm. that you have claimed in your wallet. So Oracles provide that critical function because blockchains themselves are not data sufficient. They process transactions but you need an external, the world outside that we live in has all these different datas and they need to be brought in in a specific context. I, the context that I gave you, Derek, was around insurance. The context that may happen maybe around NFTs or maybe around certain conditions that have to be met for certain transactions to be processed. For example, proof of death, for example, to process a claim around, you know, around your you know, movement of assets, post-posthumous movement of assets, for example. So I'll pause here to see if that made sense. Mm. But there are other financial issues that I think Chainlink and many such Oracle projects are trying to solve is true interoperability between not just block between blockchains, but blockchains and traditional financial systems. And they made some interesting announcements at, of course, your favorite uh, conference called Cybos, which was organized by Swift, which uh, <laughs> you reminded me many times. It doesn't mean fast. It's, it's just uh, a financial <laughs> network. So I'll pause here, Derek. Love to get your thoughts. No, that's very good, Nitin. And it's important that people understand that you know, blockchains are these immutable counting systems. They're a replacement for double entry bookkeeping as a basis of their existence. Then on top of that, they have smart contracts that enable them to do certain things. However, at the end of the day, they have to interface with maybe a digital reality or another reality that's a, a, a real world reality that they have to interface with. And these oracles are, are helping with that interface and also with communicating across to other smart chain networks. So often waved across as unimportant, but, but core to how this, all, this network is working its way out to be able to communicate and, yep. and, and account for real world transactions 
Yeah, keep going. Tell us what happened at Chainlink's uh, conference. Yeah, and so there are a few work that have, before Chainlink came with this entire what they call CCIP, which is cross-chain, you know, transfer protocol, you know, or information protocol, which or interoperability protocol rather, CCIP was was announced at Cybos, which is the biggest banking conference, and I observed a few things there in terms of announcement, and the idea was that you know let's say for example you're you know you're moving you know financial instruments to buy a carbon credit or buying a bond and that actually has to move from a bank in new zealand bank in australia uh what is that process how does it look like in this sort of blockchain world and i think a few things that they 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 announced is the ability for them to be able to ensure that they have something called again a smart router contract which basically sends the secure messaging secure messaging go the other side and they're able to then do things like mint and burn which is lock an asset here and translate the asset into yeah. its corresponding value in, in New Zealand dollars. And when the asset transfers, which is the atomic swap world that we have been used to in the in the in the traditional blockchain world, I'm able to then transfer value in both directions. I'm able to transfer value by simply moving New Zealand, you know, New Zealand dollars into the Australian system and Australian instrument into the New Zealand system. And there were some of those interesting conversations that went from that perspective. The reason why this is important to me, Derek, is because I think this is one of the biggest problem in the industry, which I think is single most uh, important design decisions as we design financial system of the future, is historically the cross-chain cross communication, the basic building block of any sort of cross-blockchain interoperability is the ability for the blockchain to communicate and to prove to chain B that a certain transaction happened on chain A. And with trust and with non-repudiation and mm -hmm. with certain sets of guarantees. And so they've been, you know, these cross-chain communications, there are some examples like Rainbow Bridge or BTC Relay or Wormhole, which, of course, all of these had their vulnerabilities and they were hacked at some point and they lost a lot of value. Uh, layer Zero is another one that is communication layer to facilitate cross-chain messaging delivery. And a new protocol called IBC, which is Inter-Blockchain Communication Protocol, it's like a TCP IP-like protocol from the makers of Cosmos, which enables communication between sovereign blockchains. So the idea there is that something happened here, something happened here, I need to make sure communication is happening, but there's no real movement of assets. Mm -hmm. The second type is cross-blockchain asset transfer. So in order to communication, I'm actually moving assets. And in this case, there are some pro you know interesting protocols like multi-chain um, or Torchain, which was Torchain was quite notable in its time that you know, it, it sort of build competitors like SIFChain and Chainflip. Many of these projects aim to actually move the asset in its native form by using techniques like I mentioned earlier, hash time like contracts to lock an asset in one chain, create another asset, and they would take a small cut for doing that service and provide the validity of that movement, which is still a very difficult problem to solve only because of the, the math behind it, the verification validation that blockchains go through. Then there's something called cross-blockchain smart contracts. And these are some examples, again, are quant networks that provide, you know, it's an over-ledger. It's like an Uber-ledger or like a Zeta chain, which provides, you know, ability to have visibility in smart contracts to ensure that smart contract actually executed, something happened on that pane. So the whole idea is that if I can connect all different smart contracts, I can make a business application to say, one smart contract provides me for my, you know, your credit rating, the other provides me for historical context and the third one provides for approval. So if I can stitch them all together, regardless mm -hmm. of the chain they're on, I can quickly build applications that would make sense 
for the audience. And then you have, again, ICP, chain key, and hyperservices. And again, I think in, in context of Chainlink, they're in, 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 in many contexts in addressing all these three cross-chain communication, the cross-blockchain asset transfer, the cross-blockchain smart contracts. But there's also something called blockchain of blockchains, which is super interesting because projects like Polkadot or Cosmos, what they have done, they have called themselves layer zero protocols, which is even below layer one, to say we are the ones who are building the plumbing for the entire industry, to say we are blockchain of blockchain. So all you have to do is come to one blockchain and we'll provide connectivity like a hub-like structure. Mm. So all this can be confusing for our, for our audiences, but, the, but, but I want to distill this down into a simple narrative. And the narrative is that blockchains are essentially a value transfer system. We are, there are a lot of value that are trapped in these ecosystems, which also means a lot of liquidity is trapped, trapped in these systems because people are making investments. People are moving there, whether you can call them NFTs or DeFi protocols, including the layer one or stable coins. And the same challenge that we have in today's world where I have fragmented liquidity because of the various banking system, the various countries, they have different you know, you know, operating models and we're building a better system. So if the system that we're building now has to be better than what we have today. And so our ability to be able to aggregate and move value where I can make my assets productive, whether it's borrowing or lending or collateralization of my assets, which gives me ability to be able to make my asset more productive and adhere to some of the principles of smart money, ability to move to the asset where ecosystems are, are, are valuable. Interoperability solves that problem, per mm -hmm. se. So I'll pause here, Derek. Love to get your thoughts on so far. Of course, I can talk for, for days on this topic because <laughs> it's, it's been on my mind for almost a decade. But I begin to see some of the interesting innovations that are coming to life, which I think makes this a reality, which actually has an exponential effect on growth of our industry. Yes. Yes. And this is the thing. You know, what you're talking about there really is down in the grassroots of how this system is working, working. It is, is at the plumbing level of it. Now, if anyone for a moment turns around and goes, oh, you know, that's, you know, that sounds like a complicated thing. The industry's got some problems there and have to work it out. No, no, hang on a sec. Just remember that interoperability is a big problem right now for the entire financial industry. So by example, if you were to move money from a bank in Australia to a bank in Africa or a bank in, in you know, France, you are moving money from one currency to another currency, one banking system to another banking system, and one set of regulations to another set of regulations. And if you think things don't get lost in translation, they do. And so the existing system is full of rent takers and full of distribution friction. And so what Nitin's talking about here is he's talking about a way of grossly minimizing rent takers and getting rid of distribution friction to enable the world to operate at high speed, no matter what the regulations, what the, what the, the currencies are and what the cultural language is from one group to another. And these are big questions to ask because people often ask in this space, you know, tell me about the various applications that are getting built. Now there's plenty there called dApps and DeFi is one of the many of them and there's gaming and there's, you know, there's, there's Web 3.0 coming, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things need to operate off the plumbing foundation that we're talking about here. They need to operate off 
blockchains for validation, smart contracts, and they need to have their interoperability solved. So what Chainlink is doing here, what Polygon and others are working around doing here is incredibly important, establishing the absolute foundation plumbing for this entire system, yeah. system to operate. Nitin, you yeah, were on absolutely. an opening and panel, weren't you? And so, the, and the opening panel posed a great question, and that is that, you know, this is inevitable what we're talking about. We've always said that it's, it's inevitable what we're talking about. Um, but the banks are onboarding it and having their own ways of looking at this and do, how are the banks going to be involved with this in the future? Do you think this interoperability, this blockchain world, this payment system, you know, and, and, you know, is, is the banks, you know, is it kind of resistance is futile and the industry will be a simulator or will they just simply be another player in the space do you think that's really interesting Derek, because i did meet some of my colleagues and cohorts in the industry both from crypto world who are trying to solve this problem of course i've been focused on last mile problem while something like oracle networks essentially connect to various blockchains and build an overlay of these ability to have this cross-chain communication you still have to solve the last mile problem and i think while you already have Chainlink, the world may need something like a ledger link, for example. But I think the challenge is this. The, the global economy of the assets that are in banking books, so these are assets that banks can essentially account for or can value the assets like your house, like your home and your car, your stocks and your bonds and your cash. It's about $470 plus trillion, give or take a trillion here and there, depending yes, on yes. the markets. And that's all trapped in the systems that are, you know, these are old ledger systems, the, the, the book entry system that you talk about, the cash management, the treasury management system that each bank maintains their own books. And mm. the interbanking system like SWIFT essentially provides a service to connect the various banking systems and facilitate messaging that actually happens, allowing for these financial institutions to be able to move assets through these messaging sort of platform. And that actually has evolved over time. So what's interesting, Derek, was I met some of my cohorts, and these were cohorts from the likes of Swift and Euroclear and other banks like ANZ, for example. And they were Ooh. these are I, I would call them market participants. So for example, when we when when you buy securities, it goes through a system which allows to make sure the money is there on one side and securities there on the other side. So CSDs or centralized security security, uh, security depositories provide an important function. Uh, they are a market utility to ensure that you have the security that you're buying and you have money to pay for it. And they provide this clearing services and this comp complicated, you know, complicated set of messaging that goes across these entire various market participants to ensure when you're essentially buying an asset, it's there. And so when I met them, what's interesting, Derek, was that the conversation was also around interoperability between the old system, the messaging-based system that I described. Yes and the blockchain ecosystem. So as we are trying to tokenize asset or tokenize real world assets, and real world asset implies your gold and your securities and bonds, the things that reflect either a dematerialization of the real world asset that gives us stake in that economy, you know, economic activity. When we're tokenizing those assets, suddenly now you're dealing with things like veros you know, velocity issues and veracity issues that you have an asset living on a chain and then you have some messaging around, let's say, settlement or cash movement living on a, on, a, on a SWIFT system. And so the conversation was, how do we bridge the gap? And I think, mm. Derek, the beauty of this conversation was that it was constructive. It was no longer crypto bros saying banks shouldn't exist or banks mm. are, you know, it was more towards saying that let's, let's come together 
and let's focus on convergence. Let's focus on how do how do co, you know how do we coexist and how do we eventually move this economy to blockchain ecosystem, which again provide the obvious transactional efficiencies and visibility and yes. transparency and all the good things that we've been talking about on this podcast since inception of Beyond Bitcoin. I think that to me is maybe it's bear market. We can say that, but I think it's also the maturity of the players, the maturity of the industry to say, well, we have a token, but we still want to be able to work with banks. And a lot of announcements at Cybos that that were made with a lot of leading financial institutions, leading market utilities, which to me is a positive sign, Derek. So do you see, do you see this as the industry, crypto industry, just being exhausted and arriving to work with with a banking industry or the banking industry being exhausted and or, or or is there a realization that both industries can work together and that they're not mutually exclusive and there's still creativity that can occur so one thing for sure derek is it's always and the time that i spent in this industry 12 plus plus years and, and so mm. have you We've always seen that in bear market, enterprise blockchain always rears its head up and say, hey, yes. we can use this technology to make these things better. Yes, so there's a little yes. bit of that, I would say, that we are in bear market and, and that's also true for the real world economies. And when that happens, I think people look to technology to inject and boost the economic you know, reality. So whether it's AI or whether it's blockchain, there's a little bit of that conversation to say, hey, can we use technology to make our systems more efficient and that efficiency will lead into you know an improvisation in terms of you know our economy and and the metrics how we measure the economy in terms of jobs in terms of in terms of cost and fees and everything else but mm. there's also realization that you know the the world is changing the number of people the number of transaction corresponding number of people is growing and inability for the financial system to keep up with that not to mention keeping up with AI and AI-related veracity of data. And suddenly you need a system that that actually has the strength to keep it. There's a little bit of that too. That, yes. that there's, a, there's, a re, there's a realization that we have to make, keep up with the digital demands of the world in transacting in such a way that is not antiquated or that doesn't, is not, you know, because that actually has economic impact. And so it's also raised by every country and every like I met, uh, you know, HK Invest, which is again Hong Kong, inviting a lot of startups to come back to Hong Kong past, mm. you know, some of the political instability or political issues they had and COVID issues and COVID restrictions. Uh, and while all that is behind us, they want to now appeal to the industry to come back and innovate. There's mm. a little bit of, of that to say, if a country is able to do all these things, can they not reap the benefit by attracting talent and capital? So there's a, there's a combination of all these things that are leading to where yeah. we are today and, have, and the conversation we're having, I think. Can I ask you a philosophical question? Because next week I'm presenting to about 90 people in Singapore on the subject of tokenizing real world assets. And, okay. and Nitin, they're sort of, you know, they want me to, to open and speak about this, which of course I will do. I'm delighted to. But I want to put it in context too. I do think that a lot of people that are talking about tokenizing real world assets, banks starting to utilize blockchain. They speak of it as if it's a destination, as if finally crypto has arrived at the destination. My sense is that if we're on a big long train ride, this is just another stop and there's plenty of other stations to go. Is this a destination or are there more stations to go? 
No, I just think it's a journey, Derek. I mean, the ultimate benefit. So, and and this is another one I had in the Nasdaq trade talks, and they talk, talked about this whole thing. Like, you know, we have all this technology. We have asset tokenization, which is the technology used to tokenize real world assets. And you'll have this conversation next week, of course. Uh, and then you have the technology that enables safeguarding the asset, which is the custody technologies. And you have blockchains, which are technologies that facilitate transactions. I think all these are enabling tech, and that helps you ease the journey of tokenization and keep up with the changing times. But the real value of this to me is, you know, cheaper, faster, better and ability for yeah. us to aggregate yeah. our liquidity and begin to show the accessibility to the financial system by many. And which means it's more participative in nature. People are able to yes. participate more because they have ease of access and they have the right product market fit. It's not just tokenization for the sake of tokenization, and if that's all the industry is doing, then I don't think they're going to go very far because they're not addressing the challenges and why we are doing this in the first place. Which I think that when you tokenize an asset, you are doing a few things. You're increasing, you're increasing its footprint, its ability to move across the globe becomes easier mm -hmm. you know, while you're adhering to compliance and regulation. You're able to fractionalize it and fractionalization lead to Ooh. affordability and accessibility by many more, which may have been you know, fenced out of that asset class and that also means improved liquidity and it also increases velocity velocity meaning that suddenly now i have much more liquidity because i can go in and out of the asset at a much faster pace and all these velocity veracity uh, higher accessibility i think leads to better markets but also leads to better economic outcomes and that's the ultimate goal i think so that's yeah. the that's where we want to go and that to me is a destination not the act of simple tokenization for instance Perfectly said, Nidin. Perfectly said. It's this ultimate democratization of assets Correct. and sharing of wealth around the world that this can enable. And I hope it does. And you know, I hate to suddenly sound altruistic and 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 you know, just sort of big world picture, but the fact of the matter is it's so obvious the technology can do it. And so incredibly compelling to see capabilities, intelligence literacy and numeracy in countries now becoming a major asset to them if they can invest all around the world sell their services all around the world own intellectual property all around the world and i'm 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 on for the journey thank you so much Nitin. great you've got another day tomorrow very keen to hear how that goes and we'll be able to address that sure. next week when i'm in singapore and 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 thanks very much and best of luck for your next day yeah Thank you, Derek. Thank you for spending time on your vacation. Enjoy, get some downtime, which is such an important part of our lives. We all work all the time and crypto never sleeps. So I hope you're able to disconnect, not worry about crypto after this call, of course, and, and rest up. And, and I wish you luck in your, you know, in, in your travels to Singapore and let's connect next week. Good on you. Bye for now, Nitin. All right. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.